Good morning. I want to apologize if I didn't get around to you this morning. I tried to get around. I got a little long-winded in Sunday school this morning, so uh, I know that ain't no surprise to most of you. Amen. Amen. So I do apologize if I didn't get around to you this morning, but I say welcome, and um, and I'm just honored to uh, to be with you here at this facility serving God this morning. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. I'm going to continue our series in spiritual warfare this morning. Ephesians, chapter 6. Let's just read again verses 10 through, let's go through verse 16 this morning. 10 through verse 16. This morning we're ready for the shield of faith. Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. Hold on. All right, here we go. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench some of the fiery darts of the wicked ones. Is that what your Bible reads? Where would I mess up at? Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery dots of the wicked one. You may be seated. I said dots, didn't I? I meant to say darts. Fiery darts. And let me tell you, if you've never been hit by one of these darts, I can testify to you this morning that they are indeed fiery. They are indeed fiery hot they are indeed trying and they are meant to try you that is their purpose over the past several weeks we've been learning about the reality of an invisible war that's going on a war that you you see parts of it as flesh and blood are being influenced by it but actually the root of it is invisible and cannot be seen it's a root of spiritual wickedness that is taking on this is a A war that basically all of mankind is in, only some of us just don't know it. Until your eyes are open, you don't even know that you're in this world. Unbelievers are being used as pawns for the devil. The Bible actually tells us that he plants these minds in the midst of wheat or in the midst of God's children. He plants these unbelievers in our paths to hinder us. But he said that there is a weapon that God gives us that we can conquer this while of the devil. Paul described this war that we're fighting in Romans 7, 14 to 25 where he said, The good that I want to do, 
that's what I don't practice. And the good, the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? That's what I find myself doing. And then Paul ends his, his explanation of this war by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? He says, Thank God, through Jesus Christ and following him, I will be saved. What's that clack, clack, clack going on right there, Nick? What was that? I'm sorry, Amanda. I didn't mean to embarrass you. <laughs> I thank God. Through, I, I was bad, wasn't it? That was wrong. I, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. I won't do it again, okay? Whew, that was close. <laughs> I know it. With my own wife, and I didn't even do nothing to her. Paul understands. Let me get back on track before I get in a mess. Paul understands that because of our evil nature, and he's actually told us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that we are by nature children of wrath. By nature, we are people who have evil desires and things that are not of God. Each and every one of us are by nature evil. And because of this evil nature, we are in great danger of falling in this battle if we don't have the appropriate tools of war. Notice what he kept saying in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the whole armor that you may be able to what? Withstand. Or when you just can't withstand, that you may be able to what? Just stand. In other words, there is a great danger of us falling in this battle. So he says we have to have the appropriate tools on so that we can fight and be able to keep standing. So in verse 14, if you'll look at Ephesians 6 verse 14 again, he tells us to just remain standing when you've done all you can do. Just stay standing. You ain't just don't just don't sit down. Just don't go down. Just stay standing. You may have done everything you know to do. You can't push any further. But don't sit down. You stay standing. And one of the ways you can do it is you can gird your waist with truth. Or you can always be ready with truth. That's what girding the waist was. It was so that you would be immediately ready to respond to anything. And he says if you will gird up with truth, if you will prepare yourself with the truth of God's word, then when Satan comes at you trying to trying to convince you that you can justify your sin in some way, anybody ever been there? You know that this is not God's ways, but somehow we find a way to justify this thing and be okay with it. He says, gird yourself with truth because when you begin to justify your sin, guess what you've just did? You fail. You've just fallen in battle. So he says, gird yourself with truth. If, if the truth shall set you free, then that means lies will keep you what? Bound. So truth, we gird ourselves up with the truth of God so that we can fight the lies and the deception of Satan. He tries to keep us bound. Our ways are not God's ways. Amen? So Christ teaches us the true ways of God and we go and follow His truth and that keeps us from falling in battle. Next, Paul says to remain standing, we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. As we learn the truth of Christ, the truth of God. The Spirit leads us to walk in these ways of truth. And He, and he, and he uh, leads us to put on these ways of righteousness. He teaches us how to walk according to the, 
the man that God is trying to create in us. He teaches us how to put off the old man and all of our ways and put on the new man that is created in true righteousness according to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. He is created by you following after Christ and if you put on righteousness that means that you're moving forward, right? And if you're moving forward, you can't fall down. But if you begin taking steps backward in the old man and his ways, guess what? You'll fall. You will fall down. So he says, put on righteousness and you won't fall down. And then the last thing before we get into this morning's message, he tells us to make sure that we are ready to move with the gospel of peace. He says, having shod your feet with the preparation. Well, if I'm not mistaken, feet are for moving from one place to the other, right? So I take this verse to mean, be ready to move with the gospel of peace at any given moment, any given time. And I ask myself the question, how in the world is this a weapon of warfare? The answer is this. Number one, the gospel of peace takes away his workers. When we receive the gospel of peace and we give our lives over to Christ and we have peace with God, he just lost his worker. He no longer can plant you as an unbeliever in the, in the, in the midst of God's children. He can no longer use you and work in your heart. Ephesians chapter 2 says that his spirit works right now in the sons of disobedience. He can no longer do that anymore unless you allow him to do so. Your eyes have been opened. So the gospel of peace takes away his workers. That's fighting Satan himself. Number two, how the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace can remove hindrances in our walk. Remember, he plants these unbelievers that have not received the gospel of peace in the midst of you, right? The one example I showed you was, was Anna. Anna Reisner, whenever her roommate, good person, not a bad girl, but she didn't realize what she was saying to Anna. She said, Anna, if you're going to be successful in your modeling career, you're going to have to be more open. Whether her roommate realized that or not, that was Satan working through her blinded mind trying to convince Anna to open up to the worldly ways instead of continuing to walk in truth and righteousness. So Anna should have been ready with the gospel of peace at that moment to be able to present the gospel of peace to this young lady and Lord willing be able to convert her from one of Satan's tares to one of God's wheat. And then that removes the hindrance, does it not? There's no longer someone standing in Anna's path saying, you've got to be more open. But instead now she's saying, what was I thinking? We can't be more open. We've got to be more like Christ. The gospel of peace protects us and keeps us standing. Now, today, we get to the shield of faith. Verse 16. Very important. Y'all stay with me, all right? Don't nobody go to sleep on me yet. This is, what are the first two words of that verse? In other words, this is the key. In other words, this is the one that you have got to make sure you have on. Now, you've got to put on the whole armor. But above all, you've got to have this one on. Now, let me take you back to the Greek for just a minute. Not trying to be a theologian or a professor of any kind, but very important for you to understand what these words actually mean for you to know what Paul is talking about here if you're going to remain standing. The Greek word for the word above is a word that is spelled E-N or N is how it is pronounced in the Greek translation. This word N actually means 
Let me find it here so I make sure I get it right. The condition from which something operates from within side. That's important. Don't let me lose you. The word that we get above from actually comes from a Greek word that means the condition in which something operates from within side. Are you with me? The next word, all. The word all comes from a Greek word that is spelled P-A-S-I-N. Pasin. Pasin is the Greek word that actually means each part of a total. In other words, it's not just saying all. It's saying each part of all. So read the verse from the Greek translation like this. Instead of saying above all, here's the way you would read it. Operating inside of each individual one. Did y'all get me? Operating inside. So take above all out and put this in. Operating inside of each individual one taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So this is something. This tool is something that must be operating from within and above and in front of all the tools that God gives you. This is not just an extra tool that is all by itself. This is a tool that actually operates everything that you do with all the rest of them. Go with me for just a second. If we can have this shield of faith operating from within each of these tools and in front of each of these tools and it can quench all the fiery darts of Satan, then what is the shield of faith? Well, let's just take the armor part out of it for just a minute. Let's take, let's take out girding your waist. Let's take out putting on breastplate. Let's take out shotting feet. And instead, let's just look at what Paul's talking about. Number one, he's just talking about truth. You can take the piece of armor out. He's talking about truth. Number two, he's talking about righteousness. You can take the breastplate out of the picture. He's just talking about righteousness in Christ Jesus. Number three, he's talking about the gospel of peace. You can take shotting feet completely out of it. He's just talking about knowing the gospel of peace. Number four, he's not talking just about a shield. He's talking about faith. Now, he has a purpose for why he puts the piece of armor in there. But for the time being this morning, I simply want to look at what is faith. Because after all, what are you saved by? So what is faith? What is this great thing that quenches all of the fiery darts of the evil one when it is operating inside and in front of each individual piece of truth, righteousness, and the gospel? And here's what I want to look at. Look at Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to turn there in your Bible this morning. It'll be up here if you don't have a Bible, but I want you to look at it in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible defines faith as the uh, substance of things hoped for or the active ingredient of the thing that you have hope in. And it is the evidence of things not seen so 
In order to explain that, I want to look at what a life of faith looks like real quickly. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Notice what it says here. By what? By faith. So it's fixing to describe to you what a life of faith looks like, correct? By faith... Noah. The reason I'm using Noah is because is there anybody in here this morning that don't know the story of Noah? Everybody in here knows the story of Noah. Well, everybody don't know Enoch. All right. Everybody may not know all the rest of these, but I believe everybody's going to know Noah. So let's go with Noah this morning. By faith, Noah. All right. So he done some things, and it was by operating in faith. What did he do? First off, by faith, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So the first thing, Noah is warned by God. Notice what it said. By faith, Noah being divinely what? Warned of things not seen. First thing, God says, Noah... I'm warning you, I am fixing to destroy the world. That was the word that, God, that Noah received from God, correct? That's the first thing. All right? The next thing, he is given a promise of salvation. Notice what it said next. He moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for what? Saving. In other words, he was given a promise. If you will heed my warning and follow my direction then I will promise you that you and your household will be saved. So we have a word of God. We have a promise of something from God. And then the next thing we see, it says he fully trusts God. Notice what he says next. He says he moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He trusted the word of God that God is going to do what he said. And he what? He moved. He moved with what? Godly fear or with faith because he trusted, fully trusted that whatever God said he was going to do. All right, And then it says that God, he believed that God is able to save him and his family. So this causes Noah to move with godly fear. He prepares an ark for salvation of his household. So here's what I see in faith. Three things. Three things. Number one, here's what faith is. You take Whoever you have faith in, you take them at their word. No doubts, no questions. If he says it, he means it. If he said it, it will happen. He will live up to what he says. That's faith. No questions, no doubts, no concerns. He said it, I believe it. That's number one. Number two, you trust, fully trust their direction or their counsel. See, listen, Noah didn't just believe God according to his word because the Bible says he what? He moved. In other words, he trusted. He moved and he prepared an ark. Where how did he know how to prepare an ark? God gave him direction, right? God don't come to you and say, hey, I'm going to do this, but then don't give you a way to escape it. He gives you direction, and faith does not just fully trust his word but instead faith trusts their direction and their counsel and he moved his life in the direction that God said move and then number three 
last life of faith looks like, you have confidence in their promises. Now, why did he move? He prepared an ark for what? The saving of his household. In other words, he knew that God promised, if you will do this, I will save your household. And because of that, he fully believed and he was fully confident in the promise that God had made. So number one, he took him at his word and he moved with godly fear. Number two, he trusted God's direction or counsel and he prepared an ark. Number three, the life of faith. He had confidence in the promise of God because he did it for salvation. That was his purpose. Now how do we compare that to our life today? Well, number one, God has gave a warning. The wrath of God is coming upon all the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming and I am going to destroy the world. And we hear that warning and we take him at his word. I believe God is going to destroy the world. But he said, if you will move with godly fear and prepare an ark by putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and following him, trusting in his sacrifice, then I will save you. So we take and we have faith in God by we fully trust his word. We believe that he indeed will do what he said he will do. And then we trust his direction and his counsel and we give our lives unto Jesus Christ and we live according to him. And then finally, number three, once we have given our lives unto Jesus Christ and we are going to follow him with all of our heart, we have confidence that he has promised that when we do this, he will save us. And that is what a life of faith looks like. So now, very quickly. If we are going to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, we've got to operate everything that we say and do in faith. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible actually tells us, listen closely. The Bible actually tells us that, that even your good deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. Now listen, that means that even as a Christian, if you do something just like Jesus Christ did it, it's still filthy and dirty looking unto God because it was not done in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So he says the faith must be at the core of everything we do. I'm going to cut a lot of this out because I can put it to you very simply with one little story right here. I'm on, and this is going to be pretty much my closing this morning. There was a man in 1859. I've shared this story with you a few years ago. Some of you may remember it. There's a man in 1859 that came to the United States from England named Charles Blondin. Anybody ever heard of him? Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker. And he decided that he was going to stretch a rope 1,100 feet from one side of Niagara Falls. Anybody ever heard of Niagara Falls? He was going to stretch a rope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other side of Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet. And he decided that he was going to tight walk that rope across the Niagara Falls. And he gets on the rope and there's a crowd that has gathered on the United States side of the Niagara Falls. And there's a crowd that's gathered on the Canada side of the Niagara Falls. And he tight walks this rope 1,100 feet from one side to the other across the Niagara Falls. The first time he did it, he did it with a balance beam. 
The second time he was coming back across, he threw the ballast beam across into the water and walked across without it all the way to the other side. People were amazed at what he had done. They'd never seen an act of, uh, of fearlessness like this. But that wasn't it. We also find out that Charles Blondin later come back and he decided that he was going to walk across on stilts. So he put stilts on his feet. Where's Connie Davis at? Connie knows about them stilts, don't you? She's had somebody working on her ceiling on them stilts. She's been trying to take pictures of him while he ain't looking because she thought walking on them stilts was just amazing. So she would shoot that picture and then when he turned around and looked, she would act like she was texting somebody. Well, this guy walked across on stilts, Connie. He walked a tightrope on stilts. Get you a picture of that. He walked across a tightrope on the Niagara Falls on stilts. But then that's not it. Next, after he accomplished that, he put a blindfold on. And he walked across it blindfolded. But he didn't stop there. Next, he puts his manager on his back. And he walks across the Niagara Falls with his manager on his back. But he didn't stop there. Next, he takes a wheelbarrow. And he pushes a wheelbarrow across, but it's not empty. It has a stove in it with a carton of eggs and some ham and some peppers and, uh, and some cheese and other things. And halfway across, he sits down on the rope with the wheelbarrow. And he takes that little stove that he had and he makes an omelet. Then he takes the omelet and he lowers it down to the made of mist boat of people that's watching and under him and they eat the omelet that he just cooked walking a tightrope. He walked this wheelbarrow across to the other side and when he got to the other side, the people on the Canada side were in awe and they cheered and they roared and he, he started waving his hands and he asked a question. He said, how many believe that I can put a person in this wheelbarrow and get them across to the other side. The place erupted, Nick. It was people that, yes, we believe that you are the greatest tightrope walker in the world. We believe that you can do anything. I mean, he's pretty much proven it, right? But they haven't actually seen him put a person in the wheelbarrow and walk them across yet. So he finally he steps out and they're all erupting. We believe, we believe, we believe. And he says, can I get a volunteer? Everybody went silent. Everybody went silent and they backed down and nobody, they ducked their heads and nobody even, he finally walked up to the Duke of somebody, I forget who it was, I couldn't pronounce the name anyway. He walked up to the Duke that was sitting in this booth watching him that was sitting there talking about how he believed, how he believed. He said, would you get in the wheelbarrow? And the Duke just sat there and he said, no, I'm, I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. I believe you can do it, I'm just not getting in the wheelbarrow. Well, listen. As everybody grew silent, all of a sudden his manager stepped out and he said, I'll get in the wheelbarrow. And he got in the wheelbarrow and Charles Blondin walked a wheelbarrow with his manager sitting in the wheelbarrow. Now how many of you know it's hard to balance a load in a wheelbarrow on flat ground? He walks this man in a wheelbarrow from one side of the Niagara Falls to the other and puts him out on the other side. Now let me tell you something. There's a big difference in believing and faith. That whole crowd believed that he could do anything. But only one fully trusted him at his word. Only one fully trusted his direction and his counsel. Only one was fully confident in the promise that he would deliver him safely from one side to the other. And only one 
got in the wheelbarrow out of thousands that were there that day. That's faith. The manager had faith in Charles Blondin. The rest of the people, they just believed that he could do it. Well, listen, the Bible said even the demons believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus. But listen, they don't have faith. Faith means that, God, I will put myself in the wheelbarrow as long as I know you're the one guiding it. Faith says, God, I will take you at your word no matter what you say. God, I will trust whatever direction and counsel you give. I will build an ark in a place that has never seen rain if you tell me to build an ark even though we've never seen rain. I will put confidence in the promise that if I follow your direction and your counsel, I will be saved. That is what faith is. So finally, in closing this morning, Faith means you so trust someone that you will and do put your whole being into their hands. You fully trust them with everything even when it don't make sense to you. So listen, Paul tells us to have faith operating inside and in front of each piece of armor. This faith in God, not just faith. It has to be faith in Jesus Christ, in the, in the one that God has sent for us to follow to be saved. That is the faith he's talking about. Paul said on his deathbed, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept what? The faith. In other words, Paul's saying, I have kept taking him at his word. I have kept trusting his direction and his counsel. I have kept being confident in his promise that no matter what he sends me into, he will save me when this thing is over. No matter what kind of suffering I have to endure, if I will follow him in his direction and his counsel, I will be okay. So I ask the question, why does this faith why does Paul say this thing has to operate inside and in front of everything that we do? Well, listen. This faith must operate inside of everything we do because even when using the truth, let's say you use the truth. Let's say you put on righteousness. Let's say you move with the gospel of peace. But it don't save you from the attack. Think about Job for just a second. Job was a man that whenever God came and allowed Satan to attack him, that was, a, that, was a, that was a while of Satan that come on Job, right? He's got to survive this attack to keep from falling, right? The attack comes, he loses everything he owns, he loses all of his sons and his daughters, and now he sits there and bulls on his skin. He's lost his health, he has nothing. He has nothing but faith is all that he has right now. And his wife comes to him, unbeknownst to her, being, being blinded by, the, by, by Satan, comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, if he does that, is he still walking in faith? He's just falling in the battle, right? But instead, he sees that deception and that lie, and he fights this thing with truth by saying, shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? And the truth, did it, did it relieve the suffering of the trial? The trial's still going, right? But he used the armor of truth. However, it ain't quenched the dart yet. The dart still burns. 
So next he begins to defend himself as others say, you're living in sin is the reason why this stuff is coming upon you. And he spends the next 28 chapters explaining how I am not living in sin. I have walked in righteousness. I have been a father to the fatherless. I have lodged strangers. I have helped widows. I have fed hungry. I've walked in righteousness according to him. But yet all the righteousness he walked in, did it quench the fiery dart? Didn't quench the dark. And then last but not least, he begins to explain how the young men in the city waited and they opened their ears for him to just pour the wisdom of God into their ears. He proclaimed the gospel of peace to all that would listen. But did it quench the fiery dart? No, it did not. So here you are. You're sitting on your ash heap. Satan has just come and he has attacked you. He has took your possessions. And y'all think about this. Everything you own right now, it may not be much, but it's yours, ain't it? Let's say you wake up tomorrow. He's took it all. You got nothing left. Let's say not only that, but your children are dead. All of them. You're sitting on your ash heap. You've lost your possessions. You've lost your children. And the next thing you know, the doctor comes in and says, you've got stage four lung cancer. You're eat up with it, and I give you ah, six weeks at best. You've done everything you know to do. You spoke the truth of God. You said God works all things together for those who love him. I called according to his purpose, but it ain't relieved the suffering yet, has it? You've put on righteousness, you're following him, you're praying, you're, do, you're, 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 praying. You're, you're doing everything you know to do to walk in righteousness, but it ain't going away. And then finally you, 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 you've even proclaimed the gospel of peace to people and you've moved with it and you, you've tried everything you know to do, but the trial and a fiery dart has not been quenched. What do you do? There ain't but one thing that will quench this dart. There ain't but one thing that will keep you standing, even when you've lost all your possessions, all your children, and all your health. And that's faith. You've got to be able to sit on your ash heap when the devil has took everything from you and be able to say as Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Tim, see if you can find for me Job chapter 13 verse 15, I think it is. I want you all to look at what Job said, even on his ash heap, scratching the, the, the balls on his skin with pieces of trash from the ash heap he was sitting on. Look what he says. Though he what? Yet will I what? <laughs> you want to know why Job could still sit there? How many of you know what it feels like to lose seven sons and three daughters? How many of you know what it feels like to lose all of your possessions along with your seven sons and three daughters? And how many of you know what it feels like to add to all of that a deadly disease that you cannot recover from and there is no cure from? And yet he sits in this place with the fiery dart and he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I am confident that his word is is still true today no matter where I am I am confident that his direction and his counsel is still the direction I take even when I'm in the toughest spot I've ever been in in my life if he says forgive guess what I forgive even when I don't understand if he says pray and I ain't heard an answer to a prayer in years you know what I still trust his direction. I still trust his counsel. 
If he tells me that he will save me even on my deathbed, I say, even if he slays me, I still believe he will save me. I am confident and I have full trust in God. And that, my friends, is faith. So I close with this question this morning. Do you have faith as your shield? Or when the next trial comes and the truth of God don't defeat it and the righteousness of God don't defeat it and the gospel of peace can't do nothing with it, are you going to lay down? Are you going to quit? When your children are dead, does that mean that God is not on your side? Is that where we go? Is that what we do? Or do we look and say, though he slay everything that I am, yet will I trust him? Do you have faith as your shield? That's a very important question because, listen, the hour, uh, the hour I'm getting a little country in me, the hour, the hour of trial is coming. If you have not already been in it, the hour of trial is coming. It is. Do you have faith as your shield? Do you trust God fully? That's the question. If you wake up tomorrow and you lose everything in your life, your children, your possessions, your health, will you still sit on your ash heap and say, The Lord giveth and he taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Will you say, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If you can say this, even in your toughest times, then you have the shield of faith and you will quench every dart the devil throws at you. Listen, when, the, when this trial was over, Old Job, he succeeded. He did not fall. He did not fail. Did he suffer? You better believe he suffered. But at the end of this thing, God increased him more than double of everything he had before. Do you have your shield of faith up? Do you really trust God this morning? Do you trust him enough to endure suffering in your life? And still stay true to his direction and counsel. Only you can answer that question. Shirley, if you'll come. Mike, whoever else helps with our uh, invitation this morning. I encourage you to examine yourself and see where your faith meter lies. What would it take to enter into your life right now for you to be able to just curse God and die? What would it take for you to not trust him anymore? To not think that he knows what he's doing? What would it take for the devil to throw in your life to extinguish you? Because listen, that's exactly what he's trying to do is let his darts take you down. If you don't have the shield of faith up, you will fall in this battle. He will find something to bring you down.